take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. Every hero's journey involves a trip into the underworld, and today I'm going to tell you about mine. This is the story of a slumbering princess in a glass casket. She slept at the very bottom of a crevasse in the earth, so deep it seemed to go on forever, down in the depths where no ray of sun could find her and warm the frozen light of her heart. I didn't know about her. I had forgotten her. I had forgotten I had put her there. I had forgotten she was me. Many years ago, when I was a young actor living in New York, I went to see a healer who had been highly recommended by a movement teacher of mine. She was European and only passing through for a short time. She was highly clairvoyant and she specialized in some kind of subtle healing work that did not involve any touch. <laughs> this is one of those strange paragraphs in life that I had forgotten about for years and which only recently came back into memory. I wonder if sometimes we don't remember certain events because our conscious mind is not yet able to process them. There's not enough of a connection point yet for us to be able to contextualize the experience and therefore retain it. This can happen when we witness something that is so far removed from our own paradigm that we simply cannot relate to it, or when we undergo a trauma that is too confronting to our sense of self. Either way, we suppress it out of awareness. Much about the content of the session remains shrouded. The details of the hour-long conversation that I had with her, what actually happened, I don't really remember anymore. But with a higher level of awareness, it feels like now I can access the non-linear essence of the experience and the significance of it. I remember two moments, one at the beginning and one at the end. First, she asked me why I had come to see her, and I realized I didn't know why. <laughs> she said, of course you know why. You know everything about yourself. And I remember drawing a total blank, like I had no insight whatsoever into me. And it confused me because I thought I had come to her for elucidation on what I couldn't see. Like, hey lady, you tell me why I'm here. You're the psychic healer. <laughs> the second moment I remember was her saying to me towards the end of the session, Claire, you need to allow yourself to be seen. You need to allow even one person to see you as you are. 
Well, that was even more baffling to me. Allow yourself to be seen. It implied that I somehow wasn't being authentic or open in life. And that triggered a bit of a reactive, who me? I allow myself to be seen. I don't know what you mean. The irony was that a Christmas movie I had been in had just been released and I had the mental image of my face filling the screen in theaters across America. I had no idea how big that movie would become and in the intervening years it's become a classic up there with It's a Wonderful Life. Anyway, I joked to her that I was being seen in movie theaters everywhere with my face up on the big screen, haha. She didn't laugh though. I remember her looking at me piercingly, and she simply replied, no, not the mask, the real you. This is the real me, I thought. What else is there? I truly didn't understand what she meant. I would not have said that I had any mask, because to admit you have a mask, you have to know about something beneath the mask. And I was numb beneath the mask. What's down in the depths? No idea. Even though I was into spirituality, even though I was already going to Kundalini yoga classes, even though I was searching and I felt called to something greater. In fact, I had had a painful conversation with my husband at the time that I felt like I was going to go away. I felt like I was going to have to follow the call of spirit at some point in my life. I had a, a sort of presentiment about that. But for all of that, I was inwardly blind. I had no inkling of what spiritual work really was. I was still caught up in the astral sideshow and the distractions of psychic readings, aura photos, channelings, and other esoterica. All that stuff is entertaining. Some of it has integrity and validity, but none of it leads to enlightenment. It took me many years to get to the real work, which is simple, prosaic, and not glamorous at all. The ego is definitely not interested in the real work. It would much rather you remain distracted by the carnival attractions that make you think you're spiritual and give you the illusion that you're working on yourself. (laughs) Look, just because you can astral travel, see energy, or receive messages from deceased persons doesn't mean you're doing the work. It's precisely because we don't want to do the real work that we're attracted to all the entertaining distractions. Spiritual work is chopping wood and carrying water. It's about looking at what you don't want to look at, owning it, and disidentifying from it all at the same time. It's admitting that you project a false self to the world, that you wear many masks in different situations and with different people, and having the courage to let those go, and with them, all of the false constructions of your life. It's about allowing your cherished illusions about yourself and others and the world to die, and realizing that you perpetuate your suffering by attachment to your own false creations and forgiving yourself for all of it. It's a commitment to a contemplative lifestyle in which that level of observation, awareness, self-honesty, and letting go is your daily bread. 
allow yourself to be seen, she had said. Allow someone, even one person, even just yourself, to see beyond the mask to whatever was underneath. To see how you really feel, what you're really thinking, what's actually driving you. But for me at the time, there was nothing beyond the mask that I was aware of. I lived by being what I thought others wanted me to be, and I mimicked life by conforming to my environment like a chameleon. The chameleon doesn't decide to change its colors when it changes its surroundings. It just happens. I couldn't relate to what this healer said to me because of almost total identification with the false self and the repression of the shadow, and more than that, the soul. Our masks are stuck to us, like layers of clear cellophane we don't even realize we're wearing. Allow yourself to be seen meant nothing to me because I couldn't even see myself. I couldn't even see that I didn't allow myself to be seen even by me. (laughs) Mask? What mask? (laughs) The actor was totally identified with the role. And that's what it's like. Imagine you knew an actor who had gotten completely lost in the role they were playing. I mean, that's a, it's sort of a, 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 a comic archetype, isn't it? You'd be like, hey, dude, that's not who you are. That's just a character. Meanwhile, the guy actually believes he's Hamlet and he's moping around carrying all the heavy burden of that personage. If that was happening, if you really knew someone like that, they might be the object in your mind of pity or laughter or both. And you would probably find it hard to understand how they couldn't see what's so obvious to everyone else. They're not who they think they are and they need help. And yet this is how most of us live all the time, totally identified with the role. We have no idea that we are not the character we're playing on the world stage. Awakening is waking up to the fact that you are not that character. You wake up on the stage of your life in the middle of your play and go, wait a second, I'm in a play. Suddenly you're aware of yourself in a whole new way. This is the witness observer. You start watching yourself in the play and noticing how you act. It's like the actor who's observing himself in the play. So our friend who thought he was Hamlet has just realized he's the actor playing the role of Hamlet and he's now able to witness and observe himself on the stage and to know that he's on a stage. He's aware at another level of the other actors on the stage also playing their parts. He knows not to bump into the furniture and that he needs to be on his track so that other people can be on theirs. Sometimes he might still get lost in the play and re-identify with the character, but more and more he has the spaciousness to allow the play to happen and to notice dispassionately what's going on in it and within the character. But there's another layer still, the one who observes and draws conclusions from the witness observer and the character. So this one is beyond the character and beyond the actor. It has awareness of context and is learning and evolving from the experiences of the character, but isn't caught up in them. And another layer beyond this one is 
the one who is directing and designing and providing the scenarios just so that it can lose itself in the experience and then wake up and remember that it created the whole thing in the first place. All the world's a stage. So where are you in all this? Are you caught up in the drama and identified with your character? Are you aware of being the actor of your own life? Are you taking a much larger view of this whole thing called life and aware of yourself as the creator and the created? Within a year of the session that I had with this healer, my first marriage would crumble and the extent of my blindness to whatever was driving me expressed as a more acute suffering. I had closed the book on eight years of therapy just before I got married, as if the fact of entering into marriage and ticking that box meant that all was well and I was normal. <laughs> I boggle to this day that despite weekly attendance at therapy for eight years, I hadn't gained the slightest insight into the ego, the anatomy of the psyche, or what was really motivating my choices, fear. Instead, the ego used therapy to polish up its image <laughs> and appear more reasonable and well-adjusted, while I remained in the dark, totally identified with the character and oblivious to the ticking time bombs in the depths of my psyche. I was fully capable of mimicking a being I believed I was supposed to be and expected to be and that I wanted to be. But my inner drivers remained a mystery to me. And when the marriage fell apart, I was none the wiser about what had happened there. While I cringed at being exposed as not what I was projecting to the world, there was a certain relief too. The mask of the nice girl with the big smile plastered across her face, the one who always had it together, the one who strove to be admired and approved of, the straight-A student with the fine pedigree who was going places and had an exciting life and an upward trajectory of excellence, complete with wonderful husband. All of that pretending and play-acting was scuttled by the shadow. I never let on to anyone, least of all myself, that my marriage was in trouble. I had no idea. I just started acting out in a variety of ways to get my needs met and then suppressing the feelings that came up from acting out. Whatever aspects of the self didn't match the ego ideal and the mask that was projected to the world were repressed out of awareness. See, that's what we do. The shadow is all the unexamined, suppressed, repressed material of the psyche. Whatever isn't acceptable, in other words, whatever doesn't line up with our ego ideal and projection, with our programming and conditioning and the expectations of our family and social milieu, all that stuff gets stuffed down into the subconscious or relegated even further into the unconscious. Suppression is when you consciously put something away and you say to yourself, I can't or I don't want to deal with this thing right now. Suppression isn't always unhealthy. It can be a way of processing emotional energy in manageable packets, especially in situations like sudden shock or grief. But for most of us, most of the time, suppression is a habit of not feeling our feelings. We just don't want to deal with it, so we suppress it. Then there's repression. That's where something is so unacceptable that it becomes unconscious. And then you don't even know about it. You don't remember anything. 
And this repressed material gets projected onto the world as bad, wrong, uh, enemies, etc. Or it arises in your reality as a situation like an accident or some significant negative event. Remember, we talked about this during the series on inner alchemy and the importance of cleaning out your subconscious storage locker so that it doesn't wreak havoc in your life. The shadow is all the stuff the conscious mind doesn't want to admit about itself. Right? It's the domain of guilt. This is the game of the ego. So it's the ego that doesn't want to admit stuff to itself about itself. And it's also the one that makes you feel guilty for what you can't admit to yourself about yourself. I mean, think about it. That is, that's cuckoo. No wonder the pressure that we're under is so intense. It's playing both sides of the game, right? That is the way to keep you trapped in the web of identification with the ego. So guilt, guilt is simply the denial of whatever the ego is craving. It's the denial of whatever the ego is craving. It's craving something and you make it wrong for that craving. I mean, what a pickle we're in being human. Truly, we have this animal brain with the ego's survival program as basic drives to get this and get that elaborated over millions of years of evolution through a sophisticated intellect. And then we have this censuring superego part of us in the prefrontal cortex that's making the animal in us wrong for being an animal. That's what it's supposed to be. This is the main inner conflict we all have to contend with. And it's a reflection of the dualistic nature of life, which we're unable to transcend with the intellect. We have to enter the heart to transcend duality and shift to a totally different paradigm and frequency range. So we, we enter the heart and we forgive ourselves for having an ego. It's a part of the package and the ego is never going to change. It can't change its nature. That's not, that's not why it was created. That's not what it's here to do. It was here to protect us. It was here to help us survive, to get through another day. Me, 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 me first. That's its job. So we have to embrace that. If we want to transcend the dualities, we embrace both sides of our nature, the animal and the angel. So life is set up perfectly for our growth and evolution. The shadow, the id, the ego, whatever you want to call it, they're necessary and wanted. They must sabotage us and destroy our illusions. They must expose us to disgrace and loss so that we can learn to let go of what is false and discover that what is true was always there and can never be touched by any trial that the world can deliver. And all of this is orchestrated by the soul. The soul body, one of the subtle attractor fields of our being, is the only one of our seven bodies that does not anchor automatically. The others, for example, because you see, we don't just have, we have a physical body, right? We have seven bodies. There are subtle bodies beyond the physical body. In fact, the physical body is the final densification. It's the final result or uh, expression in dense form, in matter of, um, 
a series of fields of energy that are like step-down transformers, right? And there are more than seven, but we talk about seven main ones and there are actually five others beyond that, 12 in total. But, you know, it's um, energy divinity um, is so infinitely powerful uh, that we could never uh, experience uh, divinity in its pure form. We would just, I mean, the way we are in this body right now, we would just go, you know, we would be zapped into oblivion. We would be incinerated uh, instantly to a crisp. And so the divine energy that we are, what we are is, um, comes down through uh, like a series of step down transformers. If you think of electricity, right? You can't plug a, a household lamp into the main energy grid, it would blow it out. So that energy that the electricity that comes through the the, the motherboard, right? It has to be uh, stepped down through a series of transformers so that it doesn't blow out your typical household lamp. And it's the same with us. Uh, the divinity that we are is stepped down through a series of uh, attractor fields, you could say, subtle fields. Um, and the final densification that we experience as our physical body is only one of uh, many subtle bodies, each with their own um, subtle anatomy chakra systems, uh, all of these, we could say they're of the seven main bodies that I'm talking about here. They all anchor automatically, except for one, except for one. So the, for example, the DNA body, the emotional body, the mental body, the etheric body, etc. The, these are all fully formed and online, if you will, by a certain age of, of our development these bodies start anchoring in the womb and they're finished anchoring by early adulthood, except for one. And that's the soul body. It's the only one you have to choose and decide to anchor consciously. And most people never do it. Anchoring the soul body actually only becomes a possibility when there is some degree of spiritual awareness. And that's already a different paradigm of existence and a different brain physiology. So I'm not saying that you even have to know that that's what you're doing when you anchor your soul body. It's not like you say, okay, now I'm going to anchor the soul body. Most people don't even know what that means, right? But those who manage to do it might not realize that that's what's happening, but they're doing it anyway. The first chance that we have to anchor this subtle field, to bring it online and to activate it is around the age of 28 to 30, around the, the time of our first Saturn return, interestingly. There's usually some kind of crisis around who am I and why am I here at this time in a person's life, in a person's life who is at all spiritually aware. And we feel a need to make a statement about that in some way. Who am I and why am I here? So for me at that age, I wanted to get married, not from a place of consciousness, <laughs> but from conforming to my conditioning, which said, this is what people do. It's time now. And I hoped unconsciously, of course, that it might provide the feeling of safety I craved. So that was my response to the crisis around anchoring the soul body, right? I, uh, I sought to answer that question by fulfilling a role in life that I thought that I was supposed to play. Of course, whenever we look for safety, security, love, or fulfillment 
out there. It's only a matter of time before we find out it's very elusive. We put all kinds of pressure on people and situations to fulfill our needs because we don't realize it's up to us to find that within ourself, right? Because the ego is acquisitive. It's out there hunting for gain. It has to get to survive. It doesn't have its own intrinsic renewable source of energy and it's unaware of the source of all life. It thinks that it's the source of all life. So we're programmed to get in order to survive. That's the animal brain. And that's why there's no point making the ego wrong. That's the normal mode of operation for the ego. Everyone's doing it. At some point, after enough disappointments, we realize, okay, the answer's not out there. I have to find it in myself. But again, it's not in the personal self. The personal self is the construct of the ego. It's deeper than that. The soul, the soul body, the soul is orchestrating all the disasters of our life, hoping that eventually we'll turn to it and anchor the soul body. That is activate and manifest a totally unique expression of our creative power that is free from conformism, independent of expectations, and rooted in the real. To anchor the soul body is to stand on your own feet, totally authentic, and just be what you are to the world. Or as my teacher said, to stand naked on a mountaintop in the rain, having lost everything, and to shout, I love my life. The feeling of exposure from the collapse of my first marriage felt like falling down the stairs at a party in front of everyone. It was like wiping out completely in a way that no one could ignore, and I couldn't pretend that it hadn't happened either. But I didn't have much insight into me or the survival fears that had driven my decision making, so I continued to act out those survival fears for many years without facing them. I just continued, even after the dissolution of my marriage and the the big failure there, I just repeated familiar cycles of hiding and pretending, becoming whatever was necessary to keep my head above water. By the time I met my spiritual teacher all those years later, I was no closer to untying that knot. But I was more exhausted, broken, and open to letting the whole thing fall apart. In the darkest and most obscure part of the wilderness of those years of training with my teacher, I asked him for a counseling session. It was only the second time I had consulted him privately. Though I had been with him for a few years, many training weekends, and I'd even begun translating for the school, and I was soon to be working on a training manual with him as his scribe, I was involved, and I benefited just from being around him, but I hesitated to ask him for private time because I knew he was very sought after. But I had a, a big question, and I really felt like I needed his, his guidance. So this time, my question was about the future. Where am I going with all of this? What am I meant to manifest in the world? Despite having some of the most joyful and meaningful experiences of my acting career in the few years since I had supposedly left it, experiences to which I felt no attachment, just gratitude and appreciation, and despite having begun to sing again with great abandon and pure delight, 
I knew my time as a professional actor was ending. It had emptied itself of energy, and I sensed I was needed elsewhere, but where? I felt blocked and blind, and I still felt heavy with sadness and unresolved stuff in me, and I was uneasy with myself. I was in this heavy period of doubt. What do I do next? was the question that I came in with. But of course, underneath that question (laughs) was a whole load of other stuff. It was pouring rain as we sat under the covered porch in front of his house in the half light of dawn. You could hear the distant sound of singing from the big top, the oversized yoga tent where morning practice was taking place on the last day of a training week. He pulled some cards from a well-worn oracle deck of archetypes, shuffled them pensively, and asked me to choose three cards, which I did. Let's see what's keeping you from expressing your highest potential, he said, because this is the knot of your whole life. He turned my chosen cards over, and there she was. As I gazed at the first card, I had a sinking feeling. It depicted a princess in a glass casket, surrounded by a thicket of thorny roses like Sleeping Beauty. Overhead were swirling clouds, and within them the image of two hands, one reaching down toward the other as if to help. The card was called Slumber. A string way deep down inside of me seemed to vibrate as if plucked by an invisible hand. I couldn't remember what I couldn't remember, but a ghostly feeling stirred in the depths, like a dream whose images have fled, but the feeling remains. The second card showed a cave of hanging stalactites, with inside of it an old crone dropping a swaddled infant into a fire. The card was called Abortion. And the third card showed a figure on a stage, dressed as a king and holding a script. It was called The Actor. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) there was a long silence as we sat together contemplating the cards the steady rainfall was a white noise and the distant singing from the tent floated like a mist over top occasionally my teacher would punctuate this backdrop of sound with a single word wow or Then, after a time, he sighed heavily, waggled his eyebrows at me, and said, Oops. The telltale syllable that meant you had fallen into every trap and missed the point of life along the way. The real question here is not what to do, he stated, but who am I? Or rather, what am I? The sleeping princess slumber. That's the real you. That's your soul. She's way down deep inside you. 
and you put her to sleep. You didn't even lock her away in the dungeons where you could hear her screaming. You put her to sleep and said, I don't even want to hear from you. Her heart is like an icy white flame, frozen in time. When did your father disappear? He suddenly asked me. When I was 23, I replied, but I've dealt with that. I thought I had dealt with it. Suspended in his gaze, I realized how untrue that was. I don't think so, he said gently. The effect of his death on you was much stronger than you realize. He referred to the second card. This is the sacrificing of your soul, not abortion in the sense of pregnancy, although there is a resonance there too. It's the sacrifice, the abortion of the creative impulse in you to anchor the soul body and answer the question, what am I with your life? And the third card is the actor. That was you identifying to a role that was less risky because it was superficial. You could play a role without triggering anything about who am I, without disturbing the soul in slumber because I'm an actor. That identity is falling apart now and it doesn't sustain you, so you're desperately looking outside to find a meaning for who you are. It's going to take a lot of energy to dive inside your darkness, inside you. It's a tantric move into the darkness. In other words, you have to cut through with a kind of psychic surgery. It will take a lot of energy from you to remove yourself from this surface life of interaction with the outside world and realize that now the solution is only within you. And you will have to face and embrace what you sacrificed, what you gave away that actually was the essence of who you are. It's totally lost in the subconscious, the real you. And probably there is also this subconscious anticipation that if I find who I am, that I've buried for so many years, I'm going to face a valley of endless tears. The longing you felt during your whole adult life was not for something outside. It was for the real you, because you've been in exile from your true essence. 27 to 30 years old, that was a key time. You entered the phase where you started considering anchoring your soul on the planet, and the shock of the loss of your father a few years before that was deeper than you realized at the time. It was as if subconsciously you said, I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for a memory for what he would have wanted me to be, which I don't know. Therefore, I'm not going to be myself. He's gone. Why should I live? This was the triggering of many lifetimes of grief that had never been processed. And you wanted to die, so you went to live with the dead by sacrificing your soul, your own life. Then you make a joyful mask and start playing the game to cover a life that would not be real in a way. Out of loyalty to the father, 
in the world of the dead with your soul. And that's what you sacrificed to save the memory of his life to be with him. I will not grow beyond you. The fact of his death would encourage you not to see who you really are and instead identify to the actor. I can hide behind the actor and I don't have to be, so I can be dead as a soul, out of solidarity and loyalty to the father who is gone. So the true self, the soul, is somehow buried. Now life is catching up with you and saying, hey, time to live. The sleeping beauty is your soul, sleeping somewhere in the dark, never came up to the surface, never been expressed in terms of power of manifestation, expressing your full capacity. That's why you had a struggle your whole adult life, never being satisfied, because you were satisfying a sub-personality that is on the surface, but it's not you. You can run after that, but it will never satisfy you. So the actor is not you. It was like a car carrying you along the surface of life while your true soul is quietly sleeping in the underworld out of loyalty to the father who is not here. So you need to do this grieving and completely let it go. You need to feel the regret and remorse that your life has been barren. You aborted yourself and everything you created is just a false front, like a stage set. I had been quietly weeping as he spoke. It was the first time the falsity of my life had been so clearly exposed, symbolically, through the images on the cards, and through my teacher's flow of words, relentless but delivered with tenderness and compassion. The sword of truth cuts, but it cuts with love. No one had ever been that honest with me or that insightful. But there's a crazy wisdom in this too, he continued. Your soul set you up to play the false game to the maximum, to take the mask to the extreme and give you a mind that is so clever it buys all of it and believes it is real and justifies and rationalizes an elaborate fiction. Your whole life has been a transposition of how life should look. It's not the grace, it's the show. What would be nice? Hollywood, making it up, pretending and believing you're pretending. Now the time has come to give up all the energy you've been using for promoting your false self and trying desperately to live. That's what you need to sacrifice now, to go deep inside and find the root of your true energy and source and bring it back. It's the myth of Persephone. You must now go down in the dark, find that sleeping self and bring it back. It will take all you have before you can buy back your feelings and surface from the depths. Well, I can tell you that that day detonated a truth bomb 
in my psyche. I am still processing the effects of it. (laughs) It began to shake loose the layers and layers of numbness to the voice of the soul and opened a well of grief that felt earth shattering as if I wasn't crying enough already. (laughs) The chasm of sadness seemed bottomless. But you know, it's what he said, the grief that you're afraid of that you don't want to feel because of something that's arising now. It's not just the grief that is triggered by this thing that's arising now. It's the grief of many, many lifetimes of unprocessed grief, unprocessed sadness, many, many lifetimes. But it has to be processed sooner or later. And once you start doing it, you realize it's not going to take you lifetimes and lifetimes. You can actually do it very efficiently if you learn how to be present to it instead of trying to avoid it. So that was where I found myself at the end of this session with my teacher. And yet at the same time, I had not felt so energized in ages. He went on to initiate me in a new Kriya to practice, holding the space for me to dive down in the depths and begin to warm the frozen heart of the sleeping princess. I went through the Kriya with him and he said 31 minutes per day for 90 days. That was the prescription. And it was daunting because the exercise involved a breath that was extremely challenging. But I vowed to accomplish it. And I left my teacher that morning full of determination and a kind of boldness that was not like the me that I knew. That's the energy of the soul, he said, as I hugged him goodbye. Within a year, I was on a new vocational path. I had become a certified life mastery consultant and I began my life as a coach and teacher of universal spiritual principles. But it was still a long road from that initiation day. I had a lot to face and I still had a lot to hide. The decision to commit my life to the service of others would pull up even more karmic material to process and every person I served was a mirror. Embracing that new path would intensify the pressure of my own personal crucible. The question isn't, what should I do, my teacher had said. The question is, who am I, or rather, what am I? You'll never know what to do until you know what you are, or at least what you are not. Our doing, ideally, emerges naturally from our being. At that stage, I was still thinking I had to choose a path from my mind. I had to find something to do with myself. I didn't yet understand that being was primary. I didn't yet trust that being was enough. It took me many more years to let go of doing, to let go of my plans and schemes, and to surrender my personal will and begin to let divinity carry me. To allow myself to be seen was still a long way away. But that day was the first domino in a long sequence of dominoes to fall. And they're still falling. 
Next time, I'll tell you more about my travels in the underworld and how I started to come back up to the land of the living. I'll see you next time. Meanwhile, walk in grace. Thank you for joining me in the grace space where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.